This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen, nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi. We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send blessings and salutations upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and all his companions. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless them all, his entire household. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless every single one of us. My brothers and sisters, this is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It belongs to Allah. It is known as Baytullah, the house of Allah. And the primary house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Kaaba in Makkah al-Mukarramah. Al-Masjid al-Haram is the greatest of all places on earth. Uh, that is Al-Masjid al-Haram, the greatest of all the masajid, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says, whoever reads one salah there, it is equivalent to 100,000 salah read elsewhere besides Al-Masjid al-Nabawi and Al-Masjid al-Aqsa. So at the time, the Prophet ﷺ had taken his companions and proceeded to Makkah al-Mukarramah with the intention of making Umrah, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doing the tawaf and so on. And they were blocked by the mushriks of Mecca. And as you know, they stopped in a place known as Hudaybiyah. And these people were blocked for no reason. In fact, the mushriks had said, we are not going to allow you here. And it was not the norm because anyone who wanted the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was always free to go to that house. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses, verse number 114 of Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Who is more oppressive than the one who blocks the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who stops people from coming to the house? the one who causes harm to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who not only destroys the infrastructure of the house of Allah, but the one who harms those who come to the house of Allah. Those who block people from the masjid, they are criminals. Allah says, they cannot be a worse person than that. So although the verse was revealed regarding the mushriks of Makkah on the occasion of Hudaybiyah, we have something to learn from it. Brothers and sisters, in this house, everyone is welcome. In this house, the people who are here, we need to facilitate for them the, their stay in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need to learn to greet one another, to make each other comfortable. So much so that if there is an offensive smell coming from us, we are meant to ensure that we've gargled our mouths, perhaps we've applied some perfume, we've washed ourselves correctly before we come into the house of Allah. Because we would not like to harm people. Nobody should stand next to us and feel that they are uncomfortable standing because of a smell, because of a few bad words that we've uttered. We should not 
make people feel unwanted in this beautiful house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not a place to do business deals. Sometimes you find a wealthy businessman, the only place you might be able to have a decent private chat with him, Astaghfirullah, is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Did you come here to do business? Did you come here to make people feel uh, very difficult in the sense that perhaps they might feel uncomfortable because of what you are asking them? Leave all that for outside. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us understand. Another very important lesson we learn. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, we all know, was the second was the second in rank of all the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. This man was so powerful, he was known as Al-Faruq. And the hadith says that had Shaytan, or had Umar ibn Khattab walked on a gully, Shaytan would tread another gully altogether. That's the power of this man. So he used to be extremely intelligent. And he was a person who used to utter words. Sometimes the revelation came coinciding his exact words. On one of the occasions, he was telling Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, why don't we read salah or fulfill at least some salah at the point where Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, there is a demarcation of his feet known as maqam Ibrahim. And guess what? Sometime later, verse number 125 of Surah Al-Baqarah was revealed. Exactly the wording that was used by Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And you should take the place of the footprint of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam as a place where you should read the prayer. And we all know after engaging in the circumambulation or tawaf of the Kaaba, seven rounds, you have to actually read those two units of prayer at that particular point or somewhere nearby if possible. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept it from us. What a beautiful verse. Reasons of revelation, it was the statement of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu and revelation came from the heaven confirming what this beautiful powerful man had actually uttered. This narration appears in Sahih al-Bukhari narrated by Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. Then we have a beautiful story which is muttafaq alayh, reported by Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu You and I are aware that before we faced Makkatul Mukarramah in Qibla, where did we used to face? Baytul Maqdis, Jerusalem. So there came a time when Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he wanted to change the facing of Jerusalem to facing somewhere else. And he used to look up to the skies. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ فَلَنُوَلِّيَنَّكَ قِبْلَةً Indeed, we have seen the turning of your head, the turning of your sight and vision towards the sky. We saw the turning of your face towards the sky. We will indeed let you face a qibla that will please you. It will be Something that will make you happy, a place. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So turn your face towards Al-Masjid Al-Haram, and that is Makkah Al-Mukarramah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had revealed this, and the people had fulfilled Salatul Asr facing the new direction, facing the direction of Makkah Al-Mukarramah. So after having read the salah, one of the men, 
from amongst those who read with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam happened to go out to another area in the outskirts or on the outskirts of Medina Munawwara. And he saw people reading Salatul Asr. They were, they were involved or engaged in Salah with Jama'ah, Salatul Asr. They were facing the old Qibla. They were facing Jerusalem. And so while they were in Salah, he made an announcement loudly to say, the Qibla has been changed to Makkatul Mukarrama, to Al-Masjidul Haram in Mecca. And they heard him, they knew he was honest. They, the Imam was standing facing the front. The entire masjid in Salah, Salatul Asr, they turned around while in prayer and completed the rest of their prayer facing Makkatul Mukarrama. And for your information, it was a 180 degree turn. That place became known as Masjidul Qiblatain. If you visit Medina Munawwara now and you see Al Qiblatain, you should know the history of it is they were in Salatul Asr. It is the only place where one Salah was read. Half of it facing the old direction and the other half facing the new direction. How beautiful. So now, some people later on, obviously a question would arise. What is the question? What happens to the salah that we read facing the old direction? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses. And this is made mention in both Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim and many other books of hadith. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِيمَانَكُمْ Allah will never ever waste your prayer. When you've read your salah, Allah is not going to waste that salah of yours. You face the old direction. Those who passed away, not having even known about the new direction, their salah was valid. For example, if we were to make a mistake and we were to try our best to face the direction of the Qibla and we then fulfilled our Salah, later on we found out the direction you read was wrong. The truth is, your Salah will still be valid. Because the time has lapsed and you did not know, you tried your best, your duty was to try and you did not know. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He will not waste your Iman. Iman here is referring to Salah, your prayer. Subhanallah. It is the height of belief. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a lesson from this. Let us all learn to fulfill our salah because salah is a sign of iman. Salah is a sign of your belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thereafter, an interesting incident again where the Ansar, they used to make hajj prior to Islam as well. They used to visit Mecca and they used to do whatever they could in terms of circumambulation of the Kaaba and so on. But they did not used to run between Safa and Marwa known as Sa'i. They did not used to run. Why? Because they used to be some idols on the two mounts according to one narration. The narration of Aisha radiallahu anha also muttafaqun alayh. Or they were idols in the direction of those mounts. Either they were on the mounts or they were in the direction of those mounts. So whenever they used to wear the ihram, they did not used to wear it in the name of Allah. They used to wear it in the name of these idols. So they felt it disrespectful to go up Safa and up Marwa because the idols are there. You cannot climb onto there because those are the gods that we wore the ihram for. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He speaks of Hajj and Umrah, He says, When you fulfill Hajj and Umrah, you complete it for the sake of Allah. The major pilgrimage and the minor pilgrimage known as Hajj as well as Umrah. 
You fulfill it solely and only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't do it for an idol and you don't do it for anything else. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses because the Ansar or the people who used to be mushriks before, they did not used to run between Safa and Marwa. They found it difficult. They found it disrespectful for the reasons I just made mention of. So Allah says, Verse number 158 of Surah Al-Baqarah. Inna as-safa wal-marwata min sha'airillah. Indeed, Safa and Marwa are the sacred signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are not there for idols. They are not for idols. They are the sacred signs of Allah. You and I know the history dating back to the time of Hajar. May peace be upon her. The time of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, when she was busy looking for water, going up the mount and going down again to the other mount. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَنْ حَجَّ الْبَيْتَ أَوْ اِعْتَمَرَ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ أَيَّ Whoever makes hajj or umrah, there is no harm in them going between the, the Safa and Marwa. Now when you read that, it says no harm in them going between Safa and Marwa. It seems like that means that if you want to, you can do it. And if you don't want to, you don't have to do it. But the reality is no. It means there is no harm that you people are thinking there is. They thought there was harm because of disrespect. So you have to actually run between Safa and Marwa as a completion of both your Hajj as well as the Umrah, subhanallah. This is an amazing incident and the verses are understood if you were to actually look at the reasons of revelation of this beautiful verse. And as I said, made mention of by Aisha radiallahu anha. Then we have another very interesting incident when the verse, وَإِلَاهُكُمْ When that verse was revealed, the meaning of which is, Indeed, your Lord is the one and only Lord. There is none worthy of worship besides Him, the most beneficent, the most merciful. When that verse was revealed, the mushrikeen, do you know what they said? In kana hakada falyatina bi ayah. If that is the case, if your Lord is one, then we want to see a sign. Send us a sign. So the next verse was revealed, verse number 164 of Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is literally saying, you are asking for one sign from us. We want to show you there are millions of signs if only you were bothered to look. If you want to prove Allah is one, there are millions of signs. Listen to the signs. إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَاتٍ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ Allahu Akbar. In fact, this verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, it ends in a different way. إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَالْفُلْكِ الَّتِي تَجْرِي فِي الْبَحْرِ بِمَا يَنْفَعُ النَّاسِ وَمَا أَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مِمَّا فَأَحْيَا بِهِ الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا وَبَثَّ فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ دَابَّةٍ وَتَصْرِيفِ الرِّيَاحِ وَالسَّحَابِ الْمُسَخَّرِ الله أكبر what a powerful verse. Let's make mention of what Allah is saying. He says, Indeed, in the creation of the skies and the earth, 
signs for those who have intellect. In the creation of the skies and the earth and the connection of the night and the day. And Allah makes mention of the ship that is moving on the sea. And Allah makes mention of the rain that comes from the heavens that causes the plants to grow and the wind that moves the seeds as well as the clouds and so on. Uh, Subhanallah, Allah says, these are all signs for those who have sound intellect. You asking if Allah is one. If there was more than one God, there would have been chaos. But look at how uniform the creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are. The movement of the day and night is so immaculate that today we can literally calculate exactly when the sun is going to rise and when it's going to set and so on. If there were other gods besides Allah, perhaps there would have been a dispute even once. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of a very, very powerful point even connected to this beautiful month of Ramadan in a beautiful way. There was an, a Bedouin man, and this is made mention of in Tafsir al-Tabari. He came to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he says, أَقَرِيبٌ رَبُّنَا فَنُنَاجِيهِ أَمْ بَعِيدٌ فَنُنَادِيهِ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I want to ask you, our Rabb that we call out to, is he near that we just have to whisper to him? Or is he far that we have to call out to him loudly? What a powerful question. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam read the verses that were revealed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says verse number 186 of Surah Al-Baqarah. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ إِذَا دَعَانِ فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي وَلْيُؤْمِنُوا بِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْشُدُونَ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if my worshippers are asking you about me, tell them I am very near. I hear the call of those who are supplicating. I respond to them positively. So call out to me. Answer me. Obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in other words. And believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in order that you may achieve success. Subhanallah. Amazing. Look at these verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us He's so near. You don't have to scream and yell and shout. You can call out so much so that Allah knows your prayer, your supplication before you actually utter it. That's how close Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. May Allah have mercy on us all. Then another narration or incident made mention of muttafaqun alayh. Narration of Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu anhu once again. Where he makes mention of how the mushrikeen or the ansar. When they used to wear ihram in order to go for hajj or umrah. They, they used to abstain from entering their houses from the main door. They used to believe in a bad omen. Something bad will happen if you enter from the main door, you're in a haram. Or as you return, you need to make sure you enter from the back or from the window somewhere else. Don't enter from the main door. To this day, wallahi, there are people who have these weird beliefs that if you enter the house or from the front door and so on. I remember the footballers at one stage in one of the countries, they were told by one of the witch doctors that if you enter the stadium from this door, you are going to lose your match. All of you have to enter the other way round and then you'll win. They entered the other way round and they still lost. <laughs> May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us. People believe in these bad omens to this day. Allah clarified it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that is not righteousness. In this hadith of uh, Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu anhu, he says 
that verse number 189 of Surah Al-Baqarah was revealed because of this. People used to enter from the other doors thinking, I will not enter from the front door. Bad omen. What bad omen? For what? That's not righteousness. Righteousness is not that you enter the back, you enter the house from the back. Righteousness is that you are conscious of Allah, you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is righteousness, subhanallah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Righteousness is that you fear Allah, enter the door, the homes or the houses from the front door, from the main door. Don't feel that there, there are bad omens. We are taught to say Bismillah and you enter the house. Alhamdulillah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and our homes. What a beautiful incident. Then a very interesting point, issue of war. Yesterday I made mention of how verses of war would only be applicable under certain conditions and so on. So if we take a look, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu makes mention of Sulhul Hudaybiyah. And he says when the Muslims were stopped from entering Mecca, they struck a deal that we're going to come back the next year. I'm sure you know of the deal. So the following year, they started making preparations and they were now leaving to go for Mecca al Mukarramah for Umrah. So something interesting happened. Some of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they, they had a feeling that what if the mushrikeen of Mecca happened to break their promise. They said they will leave for a period of time until the Muslimin can finish their Umrah and then they will come back to Mecca. What if they don't? And what if they harm us? What should we do? Because Mecca is a sacred place. You all know that there are sacred places you're not allowed to fight in. And there are sacred months you're not allowed to fight in. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clarifies it. Allah says, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ Verse number 190 of Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah says, fight in the path of Allah, in the cause of Allah, those who fight you and do not transgress. Don't go beyond the limits. Remember not to destroy infrastructure. Remember not to harm women and children. Remember not to harm those who don't want to fight you. Remember not to harm those who are in their places of worship, no matter what they are worshiping, and so on. Remember not to destroy the ecosystem. These are all rules and regulations of combat. Subhanallah. This incident, they were fearing that perhaps someone might attack them in a place that is sacred. So should we just take the attack and get smacked up and perhaps lose? Allah says, no, if they attack you, even in Mecca, you attack them back because they started. If they attack you, even in the months that are sacred, you attack them back because they started. Subhanallah. Look at the, the justice system of Islam. But Allah says, do not exceed the limits. Don't go beyond the limits. And I've already explained to you part of the rules and regulations stipulated by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Today, people are using the name of Islam to destroy infrastructure, to kill people of other faiths, to destroy anything in, that comes in their, in their path, to, to harm people, to destroy plant life, the animals, to kill people in their places of worship, to destroy the places of worship, to harm women and children and so on, to attack those who don't want to fight them. And they're using the name of Allah. And they're using verses that they have not understood. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Yes, indeed, where we Muslimin are attacked, or anyone is attacked for that matter, they have the right to defend themselves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. May He protect us and may He protect all those who are oppressed across, across the globe. But may He safeguard us from transgression and from going beyond the limits. Amin. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of another thing regarding Hajj and Umrah again. 
we have a Sahabi, a famous Sahabi. His name is Ka'b ibn Ujrah radiyallahu anhu. He says, and this hadith is muttafaq alayhi. He says, you know, we went for Umrah and uh, I was in Ihram and I had lice in my hair. And now you know that you're not allowed to cut your hair until you have done certain things. So you cannot just start, put on your ihram and shave your hair. We still haven't even gone into Mecca. And the lice was affecting me so badly. You know, his hair was obviously full of these little... Uh, I'm sure you know what lice is, right? So what happened as a result is Muhammad wasallam saw him and asked him a question. Is this harming you? He said, yes. He said, okay, shave your hair. Subhanallah. But you haven't yet made Umrah. Shave your hair. Either you can free a slave or you can fast some days or you can feed some poor people and so on. Or you can sacrifice an animal. Sorry, not free a slave, but sacrifice an animal. If you don't have an animal, he said, I don't have an animal to sacrifice. Well, then fast for three days. Or feed six poor people, half a measurement each. Feed them. And therefore, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had showed Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam this and it became a verse that was recited and is recited and we read it tonight in the beautiful taraweeh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ أَذًا مِنْ رَأْسِهِ فَفِدْيَةٌ مِنْ صِيَامٍ أَوْ صَدَقَةٍ أَوْ نُسُكٍ Regarding the Umrah and the Ihram and the rules of Ihram, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, verse number 196, that if anyone from amongst you is sick or they have a problem in their hair, the lice of Ka'b ibn Ujra radiallahu anhu being spoken about in the verse, then they can obviously cut their hair, but they will have to compensate in one of three ways. Either you slaughter an animal or you fast three days or you perhaps would be able to feed Six poor people, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us imagine if it was banned, if it was not allowed. And if you did it, your hajj was nullified. What would happen? There are so many acts that we do in hajj out of error that we have the option of compensating or expiating by fulfilling something known as a dam, which means you would either sacrifice or a sadaqah. You would either give out a charity. That's the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then another in- interesting incident also mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari by Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. He says, you know, the people of Yemen, their iman was so strong that when they used to come for hajj, they did not used to bring with them any provision. They used to say, we lay our trust in Allah. So we don't bring any provision, no provision with us. So what have you come with? Well, you know what? We tawakkal ala Allah. We have laid our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't, don't worry. Imagine, today they won't even allow you to get a visa without a package. Do you agree? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So verses were revealed to declare that that was not actually laying trust in Allah. Allah says, You must take provision. And indeed, the best of provision is taqwa, to be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do you know when you do not tie your camel and you say, I lay my trust in Allah, you are actually insulting Allah. Because Allah gave you the power to fulfill something. He tells you, you fulfill your role, I will fulfill mine. It's like you are saying, don't worry, you fulfill both mine and your role. What an insult. 
you lock your car, you lock your house, you tie your camel, then you say tawakkaltu ala Allah, I've laid my trust in Allah. That is called true laying of trust in Allah because you did what Allah gave you in terms of capacity before you just laid it into the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was revealed verse number 197 of Surah Al-Baqarah regarding the people of Yemen who were coming for Hajj without any provision saying that we have laid our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we have another interesting incident again mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari by Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. Once again, he says, you know, there were these uh, carnivals or there were these uh, times where they had festivals. The festivals of or the markets known as Ukab, Mijanna and Dhul Majaz. These were festive seasons where they used to have the sale of their merchandise. So during the days of Hajj, they used to sell these products and they used to sell a lot of products. And so people started questioning later on, is it permissible to do this? Are we allowed to sell and buy? We are here for Hajj. Can I buy and sell things? It's a question, isn't it? We are guilty, my brothers and sisters, when you're going for Hajj, people give you a long list to buy. Am I right or wrong? We come back with so much that we fear the customs on our way back. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala safeguard us. That's the type of hajj we've been making some time. But don't worry, you have good news. Can I tell you what it is? Listen, they started asking a question. Are we allowed to do business? Can we buy and sell? It was a question. So verses were revealed. The verse number 198. There is no harm upon you. To seek that which Allah has provided in terms of provision, provision and so on. No harm to deal, to seek from the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when you get to Arafah, then you need to know what to do. So there is a limit to everything. Don't make it your main aim. If you're going for Hajj only to buy things, then you will come back only having achieved those items. But if you're going for Hajj for Hajj, you're going to Mecca for Umrah for Hajj. And by the way, you have a list, inshallah. You know, when you pass by, you will buy a few things. Then there is no harm. So when you go to Mecca, you have to eat, you have to buy and sell. Someone needs to make that food and sell it as well. If we were not allowed, who would buy, who would sell? I don't think the pot course we would have from this part of the world would actually last us so long. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala safeguard us. That's the lunch. I think in Afrikaans, that's what they call it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it quite clear. And according to one narration narrated by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, by Abu Umamah At-Taymi, he says, I asked Ibn Umar radiallahu anh, that we are people who hire out things. And we also uh, hire out ourselves, which means we help. You know, you want to have a porter, for example, in Hajj to help you with your bags, someone to take you from Mecca to Mina and so on. They have to carry you, you will have to give them something. So the question is, are we allowed to do that? This is Hajj. So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anh, says, a similar question was asked to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa in my presence. He did not answer until this verse was revealed and he read the same verse. My brothers and sisters, a half an hour is up. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us. We have a lot of days inshallah and we will continue. There are some very, very interesting stories coming up. And I think we're just warming up the first few days. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us a few warm days. You know how cold it is, mashallah, in Midrand this time. I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Last year, this time I was in Malaysia. And I remember it was so hot that we were sweating, literally dripping. 
And this year I'm smiling because it's like free air condition from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah grant us that inshallah in the dunya as well as in the akhirah, the best of weather. Until we meet again tomorrow inshallah, we say wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad. Subhanallah bihamdihi subhanaka Allahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.